You're listening to Nightmares with Beers. Your hosts, Mark and Blaster. Grab a beer, prepare for fear. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Nightmares with Beer and Juice. The show that explores the true facts of horror movies with Beer and Juice. We're your hosts, Mark Blaster. Today we're going to talk about the Mendez brothers. We'll discuss the true horrors behind their story and offer listener insight to the actual events. So how much do you know about uh, these uh, fellas there, Blaster? Uh, not much besides what I've seen on news a long time ago. But right. I remember the the basis of the horrible murders and stuff, so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we got a guest today? We do. We do. A 13-year-old infatuated with serial killers, Veda Garrett, my daughter. Say hi, Veda. Hi. Hi, Veda. So tell us, uh, how much do you know about the Menendez brothers? Um, I'd say quite a bit. I've been looking into them for a while now. Yeah? Okay, yeah. tell us what you know about them. Joseph Lyle Menendez was born on January 10th, 1968, and Eric Gallen Menendez was born November 27th, 1970. Live entertainment executive Jose Menendez and his wife Mary, also known as Kitty. Although the brothers were not considered suspects at first. Suspicions about their involvement arose when they began to spend money lavishly after the murders. Oh. During the trial, the brothers alleged that they committed the murders because of years of sexual and emotional abuse that they suffered at the hands of their parents, particularly their father. They were first tried separately, with one jury for each brother. Both juries deadlocked, which resulted in a mistrial. For the second trial, they were tried together by the same jury, which found them guilty, and as a result, they were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. It's kind of weird they would use the same jury for two separate trials. Yeah, but they're brothers, right? I don't know, before that, I have to get uh, some juice. By juice, I mean beer. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, so we do this uh, one, two, three... We usually drink beer. It is drinking juice. Today's episode is Nightmares with Beer. And juice. Aww. Lyle and Eric's father, Jose Enrique Menendez, was born May 6, 1944, in Havana, Cuba. At the age of 16, he moved to the United States after a Cuban revolution. Jose attended Southern Illinois University, where he met Mary Louise, also known as Kitty Anderson. Couple's first son, Joseph Lyle Menendez, who goes by his middle name, was born on January 10th, 1968. Kitty quitting her teaching job after Lyle was born, and the family moved on to New Jersey, where Eric was born November 27th, 1970, in Gloucester Township. In New Jersey, the family lived in Hopewell Township, Mercer County, New Jersey, and both brothers attended Princeton Day School. Yeah, they were rich. In 1986, Jose's career as a corporate executive took the family to Beverly Hills, California. The following year, Eric attended high school at Beverly Hills High, where he earned average grades but had remarkable talent for tennis. 
as he ranked 44th in the nation for 18 and under players. Pretty good tennis player. I'd say. Lyle enrolled at Princeton University, but during his freshman year, he was placed on academic probation for poor grades and attendance and was eventually suspended for a year after being accused of plagiarism. (laughs) Plagiarism, eh? On the evening of August 20th, 1989, Jose and Kitty were sitting on a couch in the den of their house in Beverly Hills when Lyle and Eric entered the den carrying shotguns. Jose was shot in the back of the head with a Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun. Kitty was awakened by the shots and got up from the couch. She was shot in the leg while running towards the hallway, causing her to slip on her own blood and fall, and was shot several times in the arm, chest, and face, leaving her unrecognizable. Wow, they shot her in the face, too. And that's her own kids. Both Jose and Kitty were also shot in the kneecaps in an attempt to make the murders appear connected to organized crime. This is the police! Open up! Wow. They were, they were like, relentless. So what? Wait a minute. So they were on the couch? Yeah, they were on the couch, and they wanted to make it look like it was uh, done by, I guess, the mafia. So I guess that's why they shot him in the kneecaps? Yeah, because that's the thing they do, right? I would have figured it would have been to prevent them from running away. Or crawling away. When they returned home later that night, Lyle called 911 and shouted, Someone killed my parents. I was listening to that in a news report I was listening to, and the way they were describing on how he was screaming in the phone and the recording from that night, I was like, wow. When the police came, the brothers told him that they went to see Batman and then went to the annual Taste of L.A. festival at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium during the murders. The police did not order the brothers to go through gunshot residue tests to find whether they had recently used a firearm, since a lack of evidence prevented them from looking into the brothers more thoroughly. In the months after the murders, the brothers began to spend money lavishly, adding to suspicion that they were somehow involved in the murders. Lyle bought a Rolex watch, a Porsche Sierra, Chuck Spring Street Cafe, Buffalo Wing Restaurant, while Eric hired a full-time tennis coach and competed in a series of tournaments in Israel. So these guys had money. They had money after they knocked their parents off because their parents were rich. So they're trying to say that their parents had money from mafia? Well, no, there's still more to the story. You know anything about how their parents had money? No, not how their parents had money, but I do know three days after they killed their parents, Lyle bought the Rolex watch. Three days after? Three days. No remorse, say eh? No remorse. Well, three days, that's a good wait instead of like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> they eventually left the family mansion unoccupied as they decided to live in adjoined condos in the nearby Marina Del Rey. They also drove around Los Angeles in their deceased mother's Mercedes-Benz, dined expensively, and went overseas trips to the Caribbean and London. It is believed that they spent somewhere around $700,000 during the time period between the murders and the arrests. Wow, they... Almost a million bucks. Yeah, they didn't hold back, did they? During the early stages of the investigation, the police tried to narrow the search down to people who would have had motives to kill Jose and Kitty. They also investigated potential mob leads, but nothing came out of them. As the investigation continued, the police believed that the brothers were most likely the culprits since they had obvious financial motives and were spending much more money just after the murders. So the cops are on to them. Yeah. In an attempt to get a confession from Eric, the police got Craig Signorelli, one of Eric's closest friends from high school and a tennis buddy, to wear a wire while having lunch with him at a local beachfront restaurant. 
When Craig asked Eric if he killed his parents, Eric said no. However, he eventually confessed to doing so to the psychiatrist, Jerome Ozeal. After Lyle threatened him, Ozeal told his mistress, Judalon Smith, about the murders, and she told the police about the brothers' involvement. Lyle was arrested on March 8, 1990, and Eric turned himself in three days later after returning to Los Angeles from Israel. Both were held without bail and separated from each other. And they were so close as brothers, too. They just, they must have been hard for them. Yeah, they were. I feel for them. Not. They were very close. They were very close, though. They were very close. They really only had each other because their parents. In August 1990, Judge James Alberts started the tapes of the conversation between Eric and Ozeal were admissible since Lyle violated doctor-patient privileges by threatening Ozeal. However, since that ruling was appealed, the proceedings were delayed for two years. Two years? Why so long? I don't get that. Exactly, because if you put something in the courts, no matter if it's in, it has to go through the whole procedure once you get it in, and it takes a long time. The Supreme Court of California then stated in August 1992 that most of the tapes were admissible except the one of Eric discussing the murders. After that decision, a Los Angeles County grand jury issued indictments in December 1992, charging the brothers with the murders of their parents. This became a national sensation when Court TV broadcast the trial in 1993. Their defense lawyer, Leslie Abramson, who was described as a cruel perfectionist and pedophile. Meanwhile, their mother was described as selfish, mentally unstable alcoholic and drug addict who encouraged her husband's abuse and was also sometimes violent towards him. Um, something to what my dad just said, actually. Um, one thing their mom would try and do a lot is actually try and commit suicide. She was, like, the mentally unstable part. Like, she would, her sons would find notes all over the house all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Where did you see this? And where'd you get this information? On one of the recordings that I listened to. And that was that on YouTube? Yeah. It was of them talking, too. Oh, yeah? Yep. Huh, interesting. So there's YouTube recordings? Yeah, there's, I guess, YouTube recordings. Of them in court. Oh, that's cool. Of them in court talking, yeah. Oh, the court tapes. Huh. The trial ended with two deadlock juries. And as a result, Los Angeles County District Attorney Gil Garcetti announced immediately that the brothers would be retried. When there are insufficient jurors voting one way or the other to deliver either guilty or not guilty verdicts. The jury is known hung jury. It might be said that the jurors are deadlocked. If a verdict cannot be delivered at some point, the judge will declare a mistrial due to a hung jury. That's what a deadlock jury is. The second trial was somewhat less publicized, partly because Judge Stanley Weisberg did not allow cameras in the courtroom. Also, during the second trial, Weisberg did not allow much defense testimony about the sexual abuse claims and did not allow the jury to vote on manslaughter charges instead of murder charges. Both brothers were eventually convicted of two counts of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder, and in the penalty phase of the trial, they were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, that's what, the third time they got the possibility, a note without the possibility of parole, life in prison? Third trial? It's like... Yeah. Uh, how do they appeal it? It's, they, they shot their parents. The jury said that the abuse defense was not a factor in its deliberation, but choose not to impose the death penalty because both brothers had no criminal record history of violence prior to the murders of their parents. 
However, unlike the juries in the uh, previous trials, the, jur- the jury in the, the penalty phase rejected its defense's theory that the brothers had killed their parents out of fear, as it is believed they committed the murders in order to inherit their father's wealth. What do you think? Do you think that's it? Do you think they were just abused too much? Do you think they just wanted to be rich without their parents and off their... I think both, both, yeah? I guess that's a possibility. They wanted to kill their parents because of the abuse, and then why not? After they get all that money because they're born into it, they're going to need to kick that lifestyle up, right? What do you think, Veda? Um, a little bit of both, yeah. Okay. I think a little bit of both, too. During the penalty phase of the trial... Abramson apparently told a defense witness, William Vickery, to edit his notes, but the district attorney's office decided not to conduct a criminal investigation. Both of the brothers also filed a motion for a mistrial, claiming that they had suffered irreversible damage in the penalty phase as a result as a possible misconduct and an ineffective representation by Abramson. Huh. So they, they blamed their lawyer at the end. On July 2nd, 1996, Weisberg sentenced their brothers to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and also sentenced them to consecutive sentences for the murders and the charges of conspiracy to commit murder. California Department of Corrections separated the brothers and sent them to different prisons. Since they were considered to be maximum security inmates, they were segregated from other prisoners. You're both going away. Considered dangerous. They remained in separate prisons until February 2018, when Lyle was moved to Mule Creek State Prison in Northern California to the Richard J. Donovan Correction Facility in San Diego County, but were housed in separate units until April 4, 2018, when Lyle moved in the same housing unit as Eric, reuniting them for the first time since they began serving their sentence was nearly 22 years. Oh, so they were, together. They were separated for a long time. Ah, what the heck, man? They just killed their parents. Why are they even back together, period? Seriously. The system is a funny thing. The brothers burst into tears and hugged each other at their first meeting in the housing unit. The unit where they are housed is reserved for inmates who agree to participate in education and rehabilitation programs without creating disruptions. On February 27, 1998, the California Court of Appeals upheld their murder conviction. On May 28, 1998, the Supreme Court of California declined their review of the case, this allowing the decision of the appellate court to stand. Both brothers filed an appeal with the Supreme Court of California, which were denied in 1999. Having exhausted their appeal remedies in the state court, they filed separate appeals in the United States District Court. On March 4, 2003, a magistrate judge recommended the denial of the petition, and the district court adopted the recommendation. They then decided to appeal to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. On September 7, 2005, a three-judge panel denied both their appeal petitions, although Judge Alex Kaznowski stated that the trial judge changed many of his rulings during the two trials. On July 2, 1996, Lyle married Anna Erickson at a ceremony attended by Abridson and his aunt Marta Menendez, which was uh, presided over by Judge Nancy Brown. But they divorced on April 1, 2001, after Erickson discovered that Lyle was allegedly cheating on her with another woman. How can he be doing that in prison? Prison guard? Oh, I guess. What well, those kind of those kind of inmates would have cordial visits? Man, prison guards. 
Veda thinks it was a prison card, like in Monopoly. No, a prison guard. Oh, a prison guard. Oh, he was out on a ferry. <laughs> oh. Prison guard. I get it. I get oh, okay. It. No get out of jail card free here, I say. In November 2003, Lyle married Rebecca Sneed at a ceremony in a supermax prison visiting area of the Mule Creek State Prison. They knew each other for around 10 years before their engagement. On June 12, 1999, Eric married Tammy Ruth Sacomen at the Folsom State Prison in a prison waiting room. Tammy later stated our wedding cake was a Twinkie they improvised. Did they preserve their Twinkie as a memory? (laughs) (laughs) Well, those things never go bad, apparently, so keep it in the wrapper. (laughs) Even the wrapper. So this was a really good episode. Thanks for uh, coming on our show, Veda. Of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, isn't she polite? (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. It was a really fun show. Um, So the topic of today's show was actually Veda's idea. And we thought, you know what? It's a true story. To get your head blown off by your children has to be (laughs) uh, some sort of horror. So here, Nightmares with Beer covered and juice and juice covered the menendez brothers although not a movie there is movies out there and documentaries uh based on these guys um tell us what you know wasn't there a movie movie i thought there was like a movie movie yeah i think it's just called the menendez brothers no, no? the menendez oh. blood brothers oh that's right say it what is it called uh the movie about them is called the menendez blood brothers yeah yeah i thought so okay okay and what so uh um, still a movie at 13 years old, what made you want to look these guys up? Well, I seen them on TikTok. You see, they have they have a TikTok account? No, no, no. People post about them on TikTok. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, they somehow uh they became a viral viral trend on TikTok somehow. And um I just kept seeing their videos, so I looked it up on YouTube and it was actually quite interesting. I was watching a bunch of videos about it and stuff. So what's your take on them killing their parents? Do you think they deserve to kill their parents or do you think they do you think it was warranted? There's a part of me that sees why they did it because mm-hmm. like with the way their dad was with them and the way their mom was handling it was like I I kind of understand why, but like they could have seeked help before they decided to kill their parents, you know. Yeah, and you think because they were, you know, the children, they were probably locked in the situation and felt they had no other way. Yep. To get away from it, right? Well, I think I want to go watch some documentaries about these guys and find out a little bit more about what's happening. Hopefully everybody's enjoyed this show today. Thank you, Veda, for coming on and uh, sharing this fascination of the Menendez brothers with us. Thank you for having me. This is Nightmares with Beers. Peace! Peace!